Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. And we're back. And we're back here. It's Smart Marketing Studios in the podcast room with the Road Class A Servo. Bias. I will, double negative here, I will never not start a podcast yeah. with, and we're back. Not, not 100% of the time, most of the time before I even hit record, we both shout that to yes, the top of our lungs. As we should, as we should. Psalm chapter six, man. Wow. Psalm chapter six. Last week we did Psalm five, and Psalm five uh, introduced us to Psalms of Lament, and yep. we see a similar Psalm here yeah. this week. Psalm six is like, man, yeah, this party really died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I haven't heard a quote from that movie in a long time. Oh man, oh, that's great. Well, yes. I'm going to read through Psalm chapter six, and then I'll pray for us, and then we will dive right into it. Psalm chapter six. We're reading from the ESV. If you want to pause it and follow along, I will read the header and then dive right into the first verse. Psalm chapter 6, to the choir master with the stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And in Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moanings. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news that it offers those who are weak, those who are destitute, dying, depressed, distressed, discouraged. Remind us of the good news and how we can identify with David and see on this side of the cross the good news that Jesus Christ has to offer us. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. So Psalm chapter 6. Yeah, you have man. titled this the dark night of the soul. Yeah, I normally don't actually. I don't. I'm not one to title my yeah, sermons. Yeah, well, I noticed that you send me your notes every week, yeah. and usually it's Psalm six verses <laughs> one through whatever, and then you exegete the whole passage, and then we pull points. The from title there. is Psalm six. <laughs> yeah, real creative. But I yeah. noticed you have that at the top of this psalm, the dark yeah. night of the soul. Can you talk about that, where that comes from, and how that ties in, and and uh, what what drew you there this week? Yeah. So just reading through it, that was. Because of previous knowledge, that was absolutely the first thing uh, that came to my mind when I read it, just a cursory reading. A lot of times in sermon prep, I'll just read the passage like four or five times, just yeah. over and over and over again. But um, the dark night of the soul is a very, very famous phrase, and it's a famous phrase in both um, the secular literature and in Christian writing. It comes from a guy by the, uh, by the name of St. John of the Cross, mm. and in 1577, 
He was arrested illegally by the Roman Catholic Church. He was put in a windowless six by 10 foot cell. He couldn't even stand up in a hole in the ground to use the bathroom. Mm. Just horrible, horrible conditions. He was beaten every day um, and he wrote two of probably the most famous um, poems from an artistic standpoint um, in Christendom. The first one was The Spiritual Canical, which was in 1578. And then the second one was what he called The Dark Night mm. of the Soul. And this has been used from the likes of Spurgeon, John Wesley, and really just been a phrase that has um, attached itself to a lot of people and essentially describing depression. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. And James Montgomery Boyce, a famous preacher, says, what is the dark night of the soul? It is a state of intense spiritual anguish mm. in which the struggling, despairing believer feels he or she has been abandoned by God. Wow. And I mean, dude, when you read I mean, like, like some strong language, man. Yeah. Just listen to verses six and seven. Yeah. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. I mean, if you went into your doctor, your <laughs> right. your your physician, yeah. and he says, "How are you?" and yeah. you quoted Psalm six verses six and seven, yeah. he would go, "Oh, that's a that's clinical depression. Yeah. That's that's exactly what that is." So it's a heavy psalm, man. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah. Well, we come to this. I think a lot of times um, we've said this before in the past. Um, the 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 Christian Church has often done a a very great disservice to those who are in emotional turmoil, yeah. to uh, mental and emotional turmoil, especially that in depression. Heard a lot of things like we'll get into later, like prayed away or sure. just have enough faith. And and I let us be the first if if you've experienced that from a church to say sorry. Yeah, a lot of man. times Christians stink at saying sorry. We we are deeply grieved for that for you. But we have good news for you today. Amen. We have good news for those of us who who love the Lord and maybe don't love the Lord and are seeking relief from yep. a deep and dark time. And if you do love the Lord, uh, you may have believed the lie or been told the lie that, well, if you're a Christian, then you just shouldn't be depressed right. or you shouldn't have depression, period. And you walked us through it. Christians aren't exempt from emotional and spiritual distress. No. Uh, we're almost actually promised it. Yes. Um, can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Um, can we talk about where people can go? I know we mentioned this on Sunday. We want to say it here on the podcast, and then we can also break down... Um, uh, was this Keller, the development of spiritually rooted depression? No, he did the complex okay. core. Yeah. Um, the development comes from the Association of Biblical Counselors. Yeah. Okay. And so just on the onset here, yeah. anytime we get into a big topic like this, one of the things, some of the best advice I ever got as a pastor was you need to learn when to refer people yeah. for for professional medical help. Yes. And what I mean by that is oftentimes people come to their pastor or community group leader or spiritual advisor or whoever in their life, and it's because of a crisis. It's yeah. because something's gone on and something's happened and are wanting some insight into that. And oftentimes, man, you know, we said as human beings, we are mind, body, and soul. Yeah. We are, it's the triagion, you know, if you will. We are three core 
things that make up who we are to be in the image of God. And if one of those things is off, all of those things are off. And so when it comes to our body and it comes to our mind, mental health is a very real thing. And I believe in God's sovereignty, this psalm was very timely because we're seeing mental health talked about because of the Olympics. We're also seeing now in light of COVID, um, you know, many doctors are saying the actual pandemic that's happening is a mental health one. I mean, last year we were locked away in our houses and we had our phones and we watched George Floyd get murdered and then everybody's posting and we're all isolated away from each other. And it has breeded some serious mental health. And so what we said from the onset is we are not above and it does not mean that you lack faith yeah. or you don't love God enough yeah. if you seek professional help. Yeah. And one of the things we said is the mental health hotline. Yeah. Uh, we will have the number and the link in the yeah. show notes. But if you right now are somebody who is struggling and what we'll talk about with despair, you've had intrusive thoughts, yeah. you, um, you, you've been down for a period of time, Man, we would highly recommend you to call that. It's the yeah. same way when we get in our car and it doesn't start, we don't turn to the the book of Ecclesiastes. Right. We yeah. we take it to a mechanic. Right. And and the same is true of our body. We treat ourselves mind, body, and soul. Yeah. So on the onset, we we want to highly recommend that. Yeah. And and we say that God has given us common grace through these medicines and through these doctors. Yeah, that's good. We will have that number uh, right now. If you're listening to this, you, you can go to the show notes in the podcast information and find that number right down there. Uh, if you need immediate help for mental health, you can call that hotline. But let's dive right into it. I mean, we've said Christians aren't exempt from the emotional and spiritual distress, and we have ways that we can kind of identify that. Yeah. We have we have some tools that have been given to us, and you walked us through four points from the development of spiritually rooted depression. If we're, if we're going off of James Montgomery Boyce's definition of depression, the dark night of the soul. It's a state of intense spiritual anguish. Yeah. Spiritual anguish. So it's not it's it's not just a part of our brain, but just like you said, mind, body, and soul, the core of who we are. So that's why we're using this language, the development of spiritually rooted depression. Right. So can we walk through those? The first one is is disappointment. Yeah. I think it's important to know that a lot of times, sometimes people will wake up and not want to get out of bed and literally are in a chronic state of depression. What's important to know is though that was triggered immediately, it is absolutely a process. Um, Any doctor, anybody will tell you, we arrive at these situations in our life over a period of time, patterns and behaviors, family of origin or anything like that. And most of the time, the very first thing when we trace it back comes to disappointment. Yeah. You know, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a job, you know, you got this new job, you just moved your family, you're in this town, you've worked three weeks and you're like, oh man, yeah. this is not this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. You know, and well, so- we're not, and we're not, and when it comes to disappointment, a, a, a lot of times that can come from um, unmet expectations that aren't communicated. Sure. But we're also talking about clearly communicated expectations that may have not been met at all that can lead to a deep level of disappointment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it always starts 
um, you know, we say this all the time, our expectations determine our experience. Mm -hmm. If you go into a restaurant because people have been talking it up and said, man, you got to get the steak. It's incredible. You have high expectations. But if somebody said about that same restaurant, oh man, don't order the steak or the service is horrible. You're going to go in with a preconceived expectation. And so it always starts with those disappointments, which then trigger something else in us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And these, and these are compounding beginning with disappointment. And then if that becomes a a regular pattern or even just one monumental moment of, of a big disappointing moment in your life can lead to discontentment. And can you walk us through discontentment? Because it's, it's, we think of discontentment in, in 2021 when we have the internet at our fingertips and everything, uh, two-day shipping, everything is within our grasp. We think discontentment is maybe being disappointed and not having, uh, not getting what we want right away um, yeah. or, or not being satisfied with with where we are at. How is, how is this discontentment in this context different from that? Yeah, well, you just hit on it. The definition of contentment is the state of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so now you're not satisfied. And, and most of the time, what happens within this stage is now you go searching. Yeah. So if it's in a relationship, if it's a job, we start believing the lie of, man, the grass is greener on the other side. Mm. Or this is where substance abuse comes in. And so because of the disappointment and the stress that's been going on in your life, you find that when you come home from work, you know, you would have a glass of wine and now that has turned into three or four to help you sleep. And there is a chronic state of being unsatisfied. Mm. And we as human beings just can't live that way. We will search something out to to sort of fill that void. So because we've been disappointed, now we're discontent and, and we start asking some questions that lead us into the third category yeah, well, as well. We realize that the, what we're using to cope with our discontentment is not satisfying anything and yep. is resolving nothing. Therefore, we are discouraged, which is the third D. Yeah. Discouragement. Now, nothing in my life is offering me any kind of satisfaction. Anywhere that I turn is not giving me relief from this pit that I find myself in. Yeah. Can you unpack discouragement and and how that eventually leads us to this final D? Yeah. So um, discouragement, the definition, the prefix of dis means to take courage out of. Mm. Encouragement means to put courage into someone. And so now when you're in discouragement, you're saying things just like David did in verse three. One of the yeah. one of the clues of a lament is the question, how long? Mm. So now you're now you're saying things to yourself like, Well, this is gonna be my life. Mm. This is gonna be every day now. And and what's the point? What's the point of getting out of bed? Because now I'm going you know, to this job and, you know, my boss just doesn't understand and I've got to do this stuff. And so now, you know, courage has literally been taken out of you and now you're grappling with questions of purpose yeah. and ability. And and now the questions seem to not have any answers at all. Yeah. And quite frankly, you get angry when there are answers to your questions Um, in arguments, you know, or in relationships, when people try to help you out of this state of discouragement, you begin to refuse. Well, they just don't understand. Why are they being so angry with me? And those type of things is what discouragement looks like. I've already tried so much. Right. What what is the point of trying harder when I've tried so hard to cope with how I'm feeling, which ultimately leads to despair. Yeah, that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, despair, yeah. which we're, we're, 
we're using as a as a synonym for depression. Yeah, um, a deep seated, a deep rooted depression. Um, this this mental and emotional state of I am no longer redeemable. Yeah, despair yeah. is now you're not responding. Yeah, to anything as well, and and at despair. There is um, very intrusive thoughts, yeah. and and this is you know the definition of despair is the complete loss or absence of hope, mm. and hope is the purpose. Yeah. Hope is. I heard one guy say, "H O P E, holding on to positive expectations." Mm. But now in despair, there there's no purpose. Yeah, there is no reason for life to continue. Yeah, and um, man, that's a that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, well, and thank God for tools like this and resources like this to be able to identify. Because yeah, then, you asked us the question on Sunday, where are we on this list? Yes, um, where am I on this list? Where are you on this list? And and you said this, and I, I love this. It's a phrase uh, most everybody's heard. You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you are. Yes, if you don't know where you're at. Yep, and this is a great tool to help help identify um, where we are and where we are at. What what are some, and I want to ask two-part question here, and I'll start with the first one. What are some ways, including this list and maybe some other ways, that we can identify where exactly we are on this list and then how we can not revert the process but then seek healing, which we'll get into in a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think there's two parts to it. I think there's a physical and then there's a social. Mm -hmm. So physical is um, what is your body telling you? And so if there's prolonged days in bed, if you're not eating, if you're not sleeping, I mean, these are basic questions yeah. that I believe that your you know, doctor would ask you. Right. You know, that's why they, well, how's your diet? How's your exercise? How's your sleep type of a thing? Secondly, I think social and what's so important to understand about this dark night of the soul is it does not just affect you yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It highly impacts your family and the social circle that you walk in. Yeah. And so if it's a father or if it's a mother who's struggling with this, the kids wake up every day in fear or anxiety of, you know, is there going to be an attack today? What's yeah. going to go on today? But it's asking these people yeah. to have full access to your life and to say, hey, do you see some signs in my life that yeah. concern you? That's good. Man, that is such a powerful question yeah. to ask people that you trust. Yeah. Well, the last couple of years, you and I have, have gone through Gravity Leadership. We've learned a lot from them in terms yeah. of like may, maybe answering the question, you, you see this list and you don't know where you are. Yeah. And we're kind of unpacking what that looks like. Gravity Leadership offers a solution of, of Kairos moments, which yeah. we've talked about in the past. You can listen to previous previous podcasts. I'll just give a quick definition. A, a, a Kairos is, is the word that's used when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is now. Um, and a Kairos moment is essentially what when you are aware of God moving and working in your life, aware of what God is working and doing in your life right now. And it could be in these moments. Yes. It's absolutely in these moments. And and a Kairos is not just something that you think to yourself, oh, ask, asking questions and being curious about why you feel this way. It's part of it, but it's just what you said. It's also asking other people. Yes. Hey, I'm having a Kairos moment. I feel blank when this happens. Absolutely. Can you help me process and unpack this? So that's one side of the coin of maybe you don't know where you're at. There are some resources. But the other side of the same coin is a lot of us know exactly where we are. Yeah. A lot of us know we, exactly where we are, but we struggle with being honest yep. with ourselves and with others about where we really are. And we talked about honesty a little bit last week, but why is it important that we are honest 
about where we are on this list. Yeah. I mean, just take, for example, if you go into the doctor and you're ill and your throat hurts or you're having trouble breathing and the doctor says, what's wrong? Mm. And you don't say, I'm having trouble breathing. You're not going to get a diagnosis. Yeah. And a diagnosis gives you a direction. And so, I mean, if you're not honest with the people that are in your life, there, there's not going to be a way out of this. Yeah. And, and I know <clears throat> it's very scary to be honest and, and take that mask off. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, is how's it going now? Yeah. I mean, it's unsustainable now. Yeah. I mean, you know, the breakdown is, is right around the corner. And so what we said is whatever's hidden will never be healed. Right. And so that's what we've got to get to. Yeah, that's good. Well, and then we moved into the, uh, this is the Keller uh, yeah. list, the complex core of depression, the root, because um, we are mind, body, soul. Yeah. We, we are total, as you referenced the Trinity triagi on the, we, we are three pieces in one. And Keller breaks this down in good, complex, good practice practical questions that you can ask yourself for the, and he calls it titles at the complex core of depression. Number one, is this physical? Number two, is this relational? Number three, is this moral? Sorry, there's a fourth one. Is this spiritual? Yeah. Um, and I don't think any of those stand alone. They all no weave into one another yep. because we're all one body and we all function together like that. But is there a value in identifying the core, maybe the root issue of where these begin, and then and then analyzing how they essentially affect the other three. Yeah, absolutely. And so the thing is, we see all four of these things in the text. Yeah, man. David mentions something, and then knowing the greater context of the psalm, and the reason why it's important to get to that core is because that's going to determine how you handle the situation. Yeah. You know, the first one is this physical. David talks about his bones. Yeah. I mean, that he's literally languishing in his bones. And anytime in the Psalms, we see that that's always sort of a reference to sickness yeah. or an illness in that sense. And so is this physical? Goodness gracious, man. Like, you know, is your thyroid not functioning properly? Yeah. That gauges the hormones in your body. Yeah. Or do you have a chemical imbalance? Or, you know, are you a 50-year-old male or a 50-year-old woman who's going... I mean, dude, there are so many physical aspects to things yeah. that that can absolutely throw our body off, which yeah. then affects our mind. And, and we said this, that if stress in the mind shows itself in the body, which is absolutely true, yeah. then then the reverse is true, that if there is sickness in the body, then it can affect the mind. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And yeah. so is this physical is a great place to start. The second one is, is this relational? Yeah. And, and the reason why that's important is a lot of scholars think Psalms 3, 4, 5, and 6 were written as sort of a collection when David's running from his son, Absalom. His own son. And it's just this heartbreaking relational conflict. And I think everybody listening to this has experienced to some degree just that relational conflict that the moment you wake up, it's on your mind. Yeah. The mo I mean, when you're daydreaming, it's like a dark cloud that's over you. Mm. When you see that person in Walmart, you're, you're reminded of all of that. And you better believe that if it's relational is absolutely going to affect your emotional life. There's yeah. no question about it. Absolutely. I love is this moral because we keep, we keep coming back to like 
Culture tells us that depression is very much so isolated in the individual, and it is affected by everyone around the individual. And I love the question, is this moral? Because David is talking about Absalom, but also his enemies in general. Like, like he, sorry, it's in, in verse eight, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. He's heard my plea and he accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame. There's immorality that is happening around him that's almost heaping coals and fuel on the fire for his depression sure. and where he is at. And he's not just asking if it's around him. In verse one, yeah. he says, rebuke me not in your anger, nor yeah. discipline me in your wrath. Mm-hmm. And David is asking, Am I responsible for the consequences that are happening? And now this is a tight line to walk. And, and, and I think what you said was important. Oftentimes when depression is talked about, responsibility or taking responsibility for it is a very complicated thing. Right. Okay, so that's why we're asking these questions. Like, is it physical? Goodness gracious. Then taking responsibility for that would be like going to the doctor, seeking medical attention. Yeah. But is this moral? You know, we said in Romans 8, chapter 1, it says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Yeah. There's no punishment. God is not punishing um, his kids yeah. in that sense. But what it doesn't say is there's therefore now no consequences. Yeah. All of our choices have consequences. Yeah. And in David's life, when he slept with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan said to him, the, the Lord said through the prophet Nathan, the sword will never leave your house now. Mm. There is going to be division in your family. And so David is sitting here asking, is this depression or even this sickness? I mean, this is a fine line to walk. Are these consequences to choices that I've made? Yeah. And, and listen, sometimes... God, I mean, you know, I told the story about a guy who I met with him the next day. That night, he had gotten arrested for his third DWI. He had wrapped his car around a telephone pole, almost had a wreck with a family, uh, a, a vehicle that had a family in it. And we're sitting there, and he's got to go to trial and all this stuff. And he said, I just can't believe God's doing this to me. <clears throat> and it was like, bro. Yeah. Man, how much deny you drank yeah. 14 beers last night and drove your car, yeah. man. At some point you've got to take responsibility for that. And you're in this state of depression because you're having to deal with all of these consequences. Yeah. And so I I can see a little bit of David asking that question. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I think that that's one of the most difficult things culturally where we stand in terms of introspective being introspective and yeah. looking inside of our own selves and analyzing where we are really at and what are the consequences of our actions. Yep. Um, the last one that we see on the list is, is this spiritual? Yeah. Is this spiritual? Maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking like, well, everything is spiritual. Like everything in my life is is either the enemy attacking me or the Lord blessing me, or how's that different from <laughs> how's sure. that different from what we're what we're communicating here? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, in verse three, David says, My soul mm-hmm. is greatly troubled. And, you know, the soul is a very interesting thing to study in the scriptures and and really um, it's funny to watch, you know, secular psychology or something try to explain that. But as Christians, we believe that soul, you know, your soul 
is that immaterial aspect of you that is eternal, yeah. that is made in the image and likeness of God, that will live in eternity forever, either with God or separated from God. And you better believe, just like we said, mind, body, soul, yeah. that, that if this is a spiritual aspect, if there's spiritual warfare that's happening, this is going to affect your emotional life. Yeah. And this is something... There's a ditch on either side of the road. You don't want to overemphasize this and say, ooh, you know, the wind blew this morning and and blew some leaves on my, dead leaves on the front porch. And right. it made me realize that death, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. But then at the and same- you're going to die soon. Yeah. Death's at your door. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But then at the same time, you, you don't want to just completely ignore it because it is an aspect. Yeah. So all of these questions are really important to ask yeah. ourselves. And once we see, once we either, we can analyze and see in the scriptures here and and using these tools to find out where we're actually at. But then there's another step. We have to go somewhere with this stuff. Yeah. We have to go somewhere with the achings of our heart. And there are a few things that we need to guard ourselves from because we can't just go to anywhere. When when you're shopping for a vehicle, you don't just walk down the street and <laughs> pick a car and right. hope that it's the right one. You go to a dealership or you do the online thing. So we have to guard ourselves from certain things. The first one, you broke it down into two people. Um the first one is this, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, is the just take a pill person. Yeah. Like, we're thankful for the common graces of medicine. For from, sure. For medical professionals, for therapy, for psychology. They all have their place, and they all do wonders in taking care of our minds and our bodies. Yes. But I remember you telling me uh, just yesterday, um, you you uh, you were with somebody who, um, or you, it was a story of somebody who had a, an immense amount of medications, or maybe this is someone else I was talking about, and they were taking, like, eight or nine pills on a daily basis. And most yeah. of them were probably for side effects or counteractions or, of, or whatever. Right. Is there any danger in just seeking restoration or healing solely from medicating? Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm not qualified. I, you know, I have, n I have no expertise to be able to speak to this. Yeah. But one thing that I do know is, is in this journey of depression and seeking restoration, is nobody can be passive. And what I mean by passive is, I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm not going to try to work out or drink water or get in the sunlight. I'm not gonna do any of those things. What I am gonna do is, I'm just gonna take this pill yeah. in the morning mm -hmm. and that's gonna solve everything. Nothing works like that in the entire universe. Yeah. And I think what that is, is that's getting down to a core idol of trying to find a solution without without really doing hard work and trying to take any responsibility. Yeah. So there's a ditch on either side of the road. The first one is be very careful of the person that you confide in and their immediate response is, well, you just need to see a doctor and you need to get on Prozac or you need to right. get on blank. Listen, again, let me clarify. I know people whose life has been changed for the better yeah. because of the common grace of medicine. Yeah. But those people also see a counselor, also live by a daily routine of drinking so much water. They are not passive yeah. in this journey, you know? So that's one side of the ditch for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, the other side is, is, is the opposite end of the pendulum, the just pray it away person. Yep. And, and don't hear like, we're Christians. We love yes. the Lord. We go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm that 6 is, what we is do. a prayer. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. hear us wrong. Prayer is yeah. absolutely vital in the Christian life. The first step in any situation, the first step 
in any situation we find ourselves is pr- in, is in prayer. Yes. In, Phil- we, in Philippians 4, um, 6 through 7, it says, Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. Yes. But we see that verse on coffee mugs and on bumper stickers and all of that, and we bypass verses 4 and 5. Yeah. We can miss the context of this verse. It's it's the context of an exhortation. Um, it's the context of encouraging words to the church in Philippi. And the verses preceding in verse 4 and 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And here it is, verse 5. Let your reasonableness mm. be known to everyone, yep. for the Lord is at hand. And then it goes on, do not be anxious. Yeah. So in the midst of, since we're talking about depression and we see, and we see this deep-seated spiritual aching in, in the psalm and we're, and we're seeking to come and see good news in this, in the midst of depression, how do we join this idea of letting our reasonableness being known to everybody, living in a logical and responsible way, but also taking everything to the Lord in prayer? How do we bring those together? Yeah, I think it's a both and. I don't think it's, you know, it's either this one or it's that one. You're exactly right in saying our first response, and that's what we get into in the text and see, you know, in a little bit. But oftentimes what accompanies this phrase of the just pray it away is, well, you need to have more faith. Mm. You need, and, and it's centered on you doing those things. And the reality is, is that God is in partnership with us. God partners with his creation. God partners with his people. And by the way, Anytime somebody is in a deep depression or the dark night of the soul and they have another believer say to them, just pray it away, that is one of the heaviest burdens that you can place on someone. That is not bearing someone's burdens. That is giving someone more burdens in that sense. Or communicating to them that they don't have enough faith. Yeah, man, that's bondage. You know, that's bondage in that sense. Absolutely. I love the illustration that that, uh, you pulled from Pastor Byron Beck over at Fellowship. Yeah, dude. Um, Like, where do we take this? How, how do we uh, you, tell that illustration about the emotions? Yeah, it was great. So I had a church member say, hey, did you know that Fellowship, which is a fantastic church here in town, you can check them out on Facebook, go to their website, uh, Fellowship PB, they're an awesome General Baptist church here in town. And they said, hey, did you know that they're doing kind of summer in the Psalms? They're doing a different approach, but I really think that you would enjoy Byron's sermon. And so got online one Monday and got on Facebook and was just kind of listening to it while I was in the office. And Byron used a phenomenal illustration. I told our people to to go listen to it. It's so great. But he said, imagine that your emotions are like current river, okay? That anytime you're on current river and you're floating, nobody just gets on the tube, turns their brain off and allows the river to take them wherever the river takes them. You will die. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because the river will take you to a root wad right. and drag you under and drown you, yeah. right? Yeah. So what do you do while you're on the river is that you guide yourself. Yeah. You are active. You're not passive in this sense. And so we said it's the same thing when it comes to our emotions. The yeah. sentence that we used was, your emotions are not your enemy. Mm, come your, on, man. Your emotions need to be engaged. Yeah. And so, you know, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it 
flow the springs of life. Yeah. That's the exact illustration. Yeah. You've got to guard this, you've got to have a plan, and you have to realize how to move forward. And, and that's what we think Psalm 6 provides. Yeah, man. And I love the big idea because it, it roots us even further in that, in this idea of depression not being our enemy and that our, we engage our emotions. Depression doesn't have to define you. This yes. is the big idea. Yes. Depression can actually, like, depression can deepen your relationship with God. A hundred percent. 100%. And how, how can something so devastating and life-altering, I mean, I, if you're listening to this and you've experienced depression or maybe you're in, in the bowels of it now, we, that sounds, it sounds so antithetical to what we believe the gospel is. Like, oh, I should just not be depressed. God has given me so much. We spiritually bypass all of this. We talked about that last week. But how can something so devastating like this and life-altering ground us deeper yeah. in our knowledge and love for Jesus? Yeah, man. I think, you know, the phrase, I really wanted to say that and really give good news and hope and say depression doesn't have to define you. Yeah. Now, it doesn't have to define you, but I think it can explain you. Mm. Maybe just kind of like your past. Your past doesn't define you, but it can explain you. Mm. It can explain where you're at and why maybe you are responding the way you're responding in this season. Yeah. But the reality is, is that I think it doesn't have to be a dead end, is I think it can be a doorway. Yeah. And a doorway that you walk through of a deep experience with God that when you come out of the other side, yeah. as Peter says, you come forth like gold. It's like the refiner's fire. And one of the things that we see this to be true is not just in this is in the Christian scriptures, but through church history yeah. and people who've walked with the Lord. Guys, that's one of the things why it's so important to read like Christian biographies mm. of other great men and women of God who have walked with Jesus for a long period of time and who've walked with Jesus through seasons of depression. And, and one of those who is probably one of the most famous and who is so open about it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, he was known as being one of the greatest preachers of the English language. He was kind of one of the first megachurch pastors, but this guy would take like three months off at a time. He suffered from physical illnesses, but also suffered deeply from depression. There was a moment when he was preaching at the Crystal Palace to like five, 6,000 people, no microphone, by the way, mm. and just projecting with his gut. Just, you know, it's just crazy <laughs> to think about. But while he was preaching, somebody stood up in the back and yelled fire. Someone who did not like it was one of his de, yeah, one of his detractors for sure yelled yeah. fire, which back then, I mean that was da it's yeah. dangerous now. Get out but now, yeah. Yeah, get out now. So it caused confusion and a stampede of people. Like 30 plus people were really injured and three people died. And Spurgeon didn't get out of bed for like two weeks, his wife said. He was so depressed mm. that while he was preaching that he felt responsible that something like this happened. And the reason why I use him as an example is because that same man also said this, depression of spirit is no index of declining grace. The very loss of joy and the absence of assurance may be accompanied by the greatest advancement in the spiritual life. Mm. That's what Spurgeon is saying. Yeah. And so the sentence that we said was, the presence of depression does not indicate the absence of God. 
And man, I think that is massively yeah. important for yeah. a Christian and somebody who's walking through that season to hear. I think that's what St. John of the Cross was getting yeah. at, is because I'm in this season doesn't mean the absence of God. And let's just get really theological here. We believe in the incarnation. Mm. There are massive implications to this. What the incarnation is, is that think about um, you know an author of a story who's writing this story, he now writes himself into the story. If God is the author and creator of life, he writes himself into the story, flesh and blood, in the person of Jesus Christ. That is, Eugene Peterson says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. So God enters into our emotions yeah. with us. He doesn't just acknowledge our brokenness and no. our need for saving. He comes near. Yes. He man. draws near in the midst of it. Yes. And so you broke. It's broken down for us in the text um, in a couple ways of how can depression become a doorway rather than a dead end with your relationship with God. Three things. Number one, it can draw you closer to the Lord. Yeah. The amount of times that you broke down for us on Sunday, the amount of times that the word Lord yeah. is used in how many verses? Are there eight verse, ten verses. It's used eight times. Yeah, um, it's used eight times. The the importance of that anchor of who David is praying to. Yep. Who David is reaching out to. And I love the, the illustration that that you used. I think of thinking of your kids, like when they're babies, when when our kids get hurt, they they want mom or they want dad. They run to mom and dad, yep. not from, well, one, sometimes they run away. <laughs> yep, yep. Once <laughs> they get older, it's when heartbreaking. When they're, ta- when they're three years old and they have something in their mouth, there's, there's, right. they're faster than a fighter jet. Um, <laughs> yeah, when they put the rock in their yeah, mouth, they right. run away from yeah. you. Yeah. No, but I love that. Like, we run to God, not from him. And, and I want to talk about something here for, for just a short moment, because we, we see this idea of running from God associated with guilt and shame. We see it first in the garden. After God created everything and blessed it, at yeah. the beginning of everything, he including Adam and Eve. Then sin enters the world. We see guilt and shame with it. We see the evidence of that in Genesis 3 and verse 7 and 8. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Their eyes were opened. They knew they were naked and they covered themselves. And then later in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they hid themselves yep. among the trees. There are many reasons that we run from God and yeah. not to God. And a believer may even look at, at this passage and even in the psalm and say, well, I'm more inclined to run from God sure. than to him in sure. my depression. So my depression must be a sin. Ooh, yeah. So I want to ask this question. It, and maybe you've asked this question of yourself if you've, if you've fought depression or you're battling it now. Is depression a sin? Mm-hmm. Is it a sin to be depressed? That is a great question. And and I think it's one that, like you said, everybody's asking. So I'll say it in a succinct sentence and then explain it. I, I don't think depression is a sin, but I think it's an opportunity to sin. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. It's exactly what we said. You now have an opportunity when you're faced with something to either run from God or run to him. Yeah. And how we respond with that determines and dictates what is sin and what isn't sin. Yeah. And so I think if we're in depression and we are numbing our emotions through alcohol, I mean, why is the number one prescribed thing either opiates or benzodiazepines, mm-hmm. which are antidepressants? Right. I mean, we've got our cats on antidepressants. Yeah. And listen again, I want to repeat myself. Medication is a beautiful thing and a gift of God. Yeah. 
But if it's a temptation to run from the Lord, then I think we are entering into a dangerous season. So let that be good news to somebody listening to this. We see in the scriptures, for example, Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from heaven, does one of the coolest, absolutely awesome Old Testament miracles ever. After mocking a bunch of... Yes, and then goes under a tree and asks God to kill him. Mm. But here's what's cool. Later on in the book of James, James says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Mm. He was a man with a nature just like ours. And Elijah chose to run from God in those moments. And so, no, I don't think in Mm. any way, shape, or form that depression is a sin. I think it's an opportunity to. And, And I think that you're presented with a narrative that God isn't good, that does God love you? If God does love you, he wouldn't make you feel this way. All yeah. of these things- Or he things, would love you more if you weren't. Depressed. Yeah, yeah. All, all of these things are temptations yeah. that you can believe that are lies from the enemy, man. Yeah, man. Oh, that's good. That's good news. Run to God, not from him. The second thing that we see is that it keeps us dependent upon the Lord. Yep. And we see this in verse four, and I want you to unpack this. I want you to, un- un- I want you to unpack this language here a little bit. Turn, O Lord- Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. This is fire. You yeah. talked about this translation for the word steadfast love in the Hebrew. Talk about that again because that was Hesed. That was yeah. insanely awesome. Yeah. So, it, you know, just really quickly, when you're reading your Bible, I look for really important words. So, for example, when I see God say, I will, mm. I like underline that right. and circle that. God is like promising, like I am going to do this. Yeah. Another word that I look for is the word for or because. Yeah. So that's a joining word. That is, that is giving you a reason behind something. And David says in verse four, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, yeah. save me. He's saying, save me. And then he says, for or because of the sake of your steadfast love. Mm. So that tells me David is appealing to God to save his life on the grounds of something. There's a basis to it. And the basis of it is that word hesed, which is used a number of times, 25 times in the Psalms. And, And we translate it, and some translations translate it different, but here it's steadfast love. This is by far the most common word that God uses to describe his relationship with his people. Mm. It's one of the most common attributes of God in the scripture, that he's patient, that he's kind, that he has steadfast love, that he will not always chide forever. And um, one scholar said it this way, God's loving kindness is that sure love, which will not let Israel go. Not all Israel's persistent waywardness could ever destroy it. Come on, man. Though Israel be faithless, God yet remains faithful still. Yes. This steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word, which is translated loving kindness or steadfast love. Oh, dude, that's gospel. Yeah, man. That is the gospel because listen to me. I had somebody reach out to me um, because I followed up all of this and said, God isn't disappointed with his kids. Yeah. And that sentence hit. 
Yeah. I mean, you could feel it in the room. Yeah. People, are, you know, I think questioned it yeah. in the beginning, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that. And somebody reached out to me and said, how could God not be disappointed with me? I, you know, I can't get out of bed. I'm overweight. I'm fine. I can't even provide for my kids. And the reality is this, you're believing a lie that you bring something to the table. Hmm. You believe the lie that God saved you because you offer blank right. for him. The key to this is look at the descriptions of who we were before Christ. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Caught in our transgressions. Yeah. Hostile in our mind. Yeah, man. All of these things. And while we were still sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. So the reality is this. God loved you at your worst. Yeah. At your worst. Yeah. So the gospel tells us this. God can't love you any more yeah. or any less than he's shown you in the cross of Christ. Yeah, that's good. Man, this is the God, this is the ground. Yeah. This is everything that we have. And the New Testament yes. equivalent of that word that we see translated in the Greek Old Testament is the word grace. Yeah, man. That that's it. That's 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 the fire driving home point. And you just quoted half of it, but I'm gonna read it anyways from Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walk, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Nobody's awesome. Right. Everybody's dead. We don't do anything to receive the goodness of God and to receive his salvation. But verse four, but God yes. being, here we go, his identifiers, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And here it is, by grace, that New Testament translation of Hesed, by grace you have been saved. Yes. And he says it again, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus, for by grace you have been saved again through faith in verse eight. That's it. That's good news, that, man. That is what separates Christianity from everything is the basis of our relationship with God is Hesed. Yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. based upon his loving kindness. Yeah. If God is not rich in this mercy and rich in this grace, then we are doomed, yeah. man. I use the illustration of Simone Biles just because I thought it fits so perfectly. You know, the, the controversy, you know, she entered back in, but in the beginning, Simone withdrew. By far the most decorated gymnast, like not even a close second. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And she withdrew because in one of her competitions, she suffered from what is known as the twisties, mm. right? Which sounds like a great candy, but it's not a candy. Um, where she got disoriented in the air, didn't know how to land. And, and she said and came out in very brave um, confession and said, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head. Yeah. And, and it's affecting my performance. And so when she withdrew, there was all this controversy, but there was also all of this outpouring of love. And she got on Twitter and said these words, the outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments mm. in gymnastics. Here it is, which I never truly yeah. believed before. 
That's good. That's our. That's who we are in Christ. That's yeah. what it is when someone is converted. Yeah, they realized, man, this is the basis of grace. Right, and so that keeps us so dependent upon God. Yeah, man. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson has a quote I was reminded of, and I had to look it up. God is not gracious to me because Christ died for me. Mm. Christ died for me because God is gracious. Hundred percent to me. Hundred percent. It is not what we bring to the table. It is our den- our identity in Christ, who He is, and His love for us, and what He's done. Steadfast love for us, and what He has done for us. Yeah, that is so good, man. That that the big takeaway and the big good news: God isn't disappointed with you, man. God yes. is not disappointed with us. And re- circling back to that big idea, depression doesn't have to define you. It can deepen your relationship with God. And you closed us out um, with, a, with a couple questions. Um, actually, we can, we can spend some time here. What's our ultimate hope when we feel hopeless? Yeah. Um, my soul is greatly troubled. We see that in verse three. And then we see it in Jesus in John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? He says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Yep. It's the reason for which he comes. It's the reason for which he lives the life he lives and dies the, dies the death he does in our stead. The joy that's set before him, us restored back to the Father. Yes. That's good news. Can you walk us through... Um, Sorry, I don't have any notes here for the end of this. When we talk about the dark night of the soul, yeah, you look here at Matthew twenty-seven. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only hope is is has somebody been here and and gone through the doorway first yeah. and beckons us on the other side yeah. and says that it doesn't have to define you; it can just be a doorway. And when we talk about this darkness and the dark night of the soul, when we see Jesus crucified in Matthew twenty-seven verses forty-five and forty-six. There's a myriad of things that happens. And it says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness Mm. over all the land until the ninth hour. And most scholars and theologians agree that that is creation showing what is happening to the creator. And the, the sentence that we said was, Jesus faced the darkest night of the soul that the father turning his back on the son yeah. so we could have a deeper relationship with the father, yeah. that we can have that hope, that the father turned his back on the son so he would never turn his back on you. That's good. And so when you're in this darkness and you can't see the light, one of the quotes that Spurgeon always said is, never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. Yeah. And the light is the gospel and it is the truth for us. Yeah, that's good news. Um, my wife sent me uh, something that I think is applicable here. I showed it to you the other day. Um, Elliot Kipchoge, he's like the fastest marathon runner in the world. Right. Um, won gold in the Tokyo Olympics. Again, he's won so many gold medals for running marathons. And uh, there's a picture of him, and it's literally him. He finished the marathon ahead of every other Olympic pace <laughs> marathon runner, so far ahead that he already had gotten his photos taken. He put on his flag for the country of Kenya, and then was went back to the finish line and was receiving all of the runners as they crossed the line to give them a fist bump, give so them a hug. So crazy. And I was just I was reminded of Jesus, man. Like like Jesus Jesus runs the race. Jesus ran the race. Identifies with us in his humanity, but saves us in his divinity. And I just thought that was a beautiful illustration to tie in with this sentence. Jesus had the darkest night of the soul, so you could have a deeper relationship. Absolutely, with the man. You close us out with three questions on a scale of one to ten one being the dark night of the soul and 10 being great, where are you at currently? 
Yeah. These are good questions for us to ask. Use the tools that have been given to us from God's Word in Psalm chapter 6 and what we've seen broken down. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the dark night of the soul, where are you currently? Secondly, are you running to God or are you running from God? Are you running to Him in the midst of your agony, in the midst of your despair? Or are you running from Him? Are you going to things that will not fully offer satisfaction or things that that ultimately do not offer that love and that guidance through a dark time yeah. like Jesus really can. And then a really applicable third question, who specifically can you talk to yeah. in the next three days? And three days is Wednesday, guys. That's tomorrow. Yep. You got one more day. Yep. Uh, if you want to start from today, three days from today, who can you talk to? And not just not just explore where you actually are, but maybe even be honest of where you actually are with yep. somebody else. Yep. And listen, it is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. No. It is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. No. So who can you talk to in the next three days? Depression does not have to define you. It can deepen your relationship with God. This has been a very sobering last two weeks in the Psalms. Yeah, man. In Psalm chapter 5 and Psalm chapter 6. In a subject and in a field where I would think um, a lot of people feel alone and lost and helpless with no resources and tools to be able to move forward. Right. Um, so I want to I, I, I thank God for his word in Psalm 5 and Psalm 6 and guiding us through in our church in this time. Absolutely, man. And, yeah. and when you talk about resources, I think... Oftentimes, people don't even know where to begin, you know, with some of this stuff. And so I think everything that we discussed in the podcast is good, especially <clears throat> the National Mental Health Hotline. There are two books that, that I would highly recommend. Um, the first one is called um, Out of the Cave and Stepping Out of Your Depression and Out of the Darkness. And it's written by a guy uh, who has gone through seasons and experienced that. It's a case study in the study of Elijah. I've, I've given it to like three people in the church. It's a phenomenal book, yeah. very accessible. The second one is particularly towards men, and there's a reason why. It's called Unmasking Male Depression, and it is a phenomenal book. I mean, it talks about the mental, emotional, the physical aspect of everything, but the reason why is, is because the number one person to um, actually be diagnosed with depression is a man, mm. um, and they are also the ones least likely to seek any help mm. in that sense. And so, man, listen, we are facing a crisis in our nation, and I also think we're facing a crisis in our churches. And I think that if men would lead the way in seeking help with this, um, I believe that we could see that revival that we're all longing for. So yeah. out of the uh, out of the cave and then unmasking male depression, That's I think good. are two great resources to start. We'll throw those in the show notes along with the mental health hotline information. I'm going to close this out and read from Psalm 36 about the steadfast love of God. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. 
good news about the steadfast love and the nature of our Heavenly Father, and we see that nature lived out in Jesus Christ and saved for us in this book. So thankful that we get to do this each week, man. Amen. This is so good. Amen. Hey, we've got some some important things coming up. Uh, tomorrow night is our last week of... Uh, I'm sorry, tonight, if you'll be listening to this. Yep. Wednesday night, uh, August 11th, is our last night of VBS. Yep. Come, your kids are going to get dirty. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Wear messy some, night. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun, messy night. It's going to be awesome. Enjoy that. And then, uh, we have any other dates that are coming up other than uh yeah we've got um if you're a covenant member we've yes. got our business meeting coming up on That's august right. 25th where we get to recap the year god's faithfulness and see what's coming up in the following year as well man That's so good. That's yeah good. man it's good well, stuff if you want to know more about us as a church westsidepb.org we live stream our service right now at 10 a.m on facebook and you can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts may as always may any and everything that we always do always be about Jesus. We love you guys. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and we will see you next time.